You're listening to The Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca on Talk Radio, AM 640. Good evening, everyone. You're listening to another edition of The Dating and Relationship Show on Talk Radio, AM 640. I'm your host, Laura Bellata from Single in the City. And on tonight's show, my co-host, Sandra Carusi, and I, who's stuffing her face right now with pizza. From against uh, the grain here at Chorus <laughs> Key, by the way. We'll be discussing relationships and money matters with family lawyer Chantal Sawesian, right? It's Sawesian. Oh, Sawesian. Think of Sawesian. It's a hard one. Is that your married name or your... No, this is just my <laughs> original name. I'm not married as of yet. I'm getting there. Okay, Sawesian from the Hart Legal Firm. Um, so whether we'd like to admit it or not, money plays a huge part in our intimate relationships. From the initiation of prenups to dating someone within your financial quota, money has a very effective impact on our relationship. In fact, according to an Ameriprise study in 2016, approximately 31% of all couples, even the happiest ones, clash over their finances at least once a month. Okay, so now with that being said, let's get this ball rolling. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hello. It's very nice to meet you. So, Chantel, tell me, what makes you an expert in family law? Well, I studied family law in my undergraduate degree, went on to law school. I have a JD in family law, and now I'm a negotiator, mediator, and litigator in the area. Okay. So what would you say is the hardest or most common decision many families or couples struggle with when coming to you for legal advice? So the once, I'm, once a client approaches me and says, you know, look, I want to move forward, uh, my first question to them is always, you know, have you really thought about this? Have you thought this through? Are you really thinking the relationship is over? Because if not, of course, you know, try to reconcile and try to separate. It will, it will, you know, save you a lot of money in moving forward because the whole process can get really time consuming, emotionally mm-hmm. draining, and, you know, it costs you a lot of money if you're moving forward with the court process. So always we, you know, as lawyers, we always want people to reconcile before coming to us. That's but, great. you know, if people are in a combative mindset or, you know, that really just isn't an option for them, and, you know, we know that that's not going to work, there are other options rather than going straight to, you know, court. Like mediation. Things like, exactly, alternative dispute yeah. resolution. It covers, you know, mediation, arbitration, anything settling outside of the court process. Even, you know, a mediator can actually make a decision for a couple, but an arbitrator acts almost as a judge. So mm-hmm. you're saving a ton of costs. You're going to this, you know, what however long it is, maybe a three-day arbitration, and you lay all your facts on the table like you would in court, but at half the cost. Mm-hmm. And an arbitrator can say, you know what, I'm going to you know, take the initiative and make this decision for you. You know what, I just want to, because I'm legally separated, I went through this years ago, and um, you know this, Chantel, a lot of lawyers get a bad rap in family law because everybody thinks you guys just are after the money, don't give the money to the lawyers. Which is true. But you can end up giving a lot of money to the lawyers. I know someone who gave $150,000 to the lawyer and and then ended up with no house. And it's nice that Chantel, you encourage reconciliation, but some that I interviewed when I went through it said, well, when you go to court, you know, we're going to get police documentation. He was already after after my ex, which I didn't want that kind of separation. I wanted an amicable one. So that's why I opted for mediation. Now, what can you speak to that? There's very different kinds, right? Yeah, look, you have to really do your homework, just like in any profession. You know, you're going mm. to a hairdresser. You may love them. You may hate them. You know, you may love the end result. You may not. It's the same with law. You know, everyone's educated. Everyone, you know, is is diligent in their practice. But someone's personality might not mesh with yours. Yeah, you know, big. they may have a more combative nature, whereas you're needing someone more positive. For me, I just have, you know, I'm more positive in general, and mm. I'm not the type of person that likes to go to combat, whether it's in my personal life yes. or my 
professional life. So I think that works well with some people. And with others, the ones that are the fighters and, you know, yeah. want to go to court over any little matter or delay the process or put a ton of money mm-hmm. into it, you know, when I really don't see it possible. As a lawyer, it's my job to to tell them, you know, I think you're, you're wasting your money yeah. and there are other options for you that could be less cost effective. The thing is, at the end of the day, lawyers really have to act based on their client's instructions as long as they are reasonable and, of course, legal. That's interesting. Get more with our guests after the break. You're listening to The Dating and Relationship Show on Talk Radio AM 640. This is The Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca on Talk Radio AM 640. We're back. You're listening to The Dating and Relationship Show on AM 640. I'm Laura Bellata. Seated here with me is the hilarious Sandra Carisi <laughs> from Inside Jokes. Especially this subject. <laughs> and family lawyer Chantal. I want to talk about prenuptial agreements. So tell me, Chantal, in your opinion, do you think prenups affect the relationship negatively and that people who agree to sign for a prenup are more likely to get a divorce? I can't necessarily provide legal you know, advice on the subject unless I'm retained, but um, <laughs> the thing is with prenups, I think the exact opposite. I think that entering into a prenup or as we call it in Ontario, a marriage contract, or even if you're in a common law relationship, a, a cohabitation agreement, they encourage transparency from the outset. They encourage you to talk to your partner and you know, get an understanding, a solid understanding of their financial footing. And when you both talk the, and there's open communication in a relationship, I think it can only foster positive communication and moving forward and transparency and accountability. Without that, really, you know, it's this, you know, a lot of times finances or how much a person makes or what they're doing is this kind of scary gray zone. And when things, you know, turn awry in a relationship, mm-hmm. then you're forced to deal with it. I think if you are, you know, upfront from the beginning and engage and have these discussions from the outset, it could only be beneficial to you in your relationship. Mm-hmm. And why do you think uh, that, you know, some of the partners get offended when their spouses yeah. want a prenup? Well, wouldn't you? Not really. Not, you know, I are think you? It, Okay. No, I, I think I don't. No, have I think a you prenup. have a point there. There is a negative stigma, a re- really associated with the word prenup or mm-hmm. even cohab agreement. Well, why do I need a cohab well, agreement? Well, because is if what you're married for a few years and you know it go, it, the, the relationship ends. You don't want to get, if, especially if you have a lot more money than someone else. Mm-hmm. You definitely don't want them to take you for everything. No, I, that would I completely, suck. I completely I agree with you. Be able to get over that. I think I think they're a great thing. Um, I you know, I myself will definitely be entering into a prenup. Mm-hmm before I get married and I'm on the route to doing so. And my partner and I have discussed that and we are both for it. Um, I love that we have open and honest communications about how much we make and it's not a negative. We don't mm-hmm. have this battle of the egos. You're it's, lucky. you know what, you make this, I make this, you know, I own this and you own this and we want to protect ourselves. And and oftentimes, especially with the, the new millennials and this new generation mm-hmm. coming in, pr- uh, house prices Mm-hmm. are high and it's you know affording to live in the city is high and oftentimes people's parents even pitch in mm-hmm. or the grandparents people even you know couples get inheritances you want to have these discussions and make sure you know what you're getting into can they actually that's, that's interesting uh, can they take the inheritance if yes. it doesn't belong to them it, it's really it's case specific so there's a common misconception with with common law i think we'll get into that later in the segment but you don't actually have an interest if you're in a common law relationship in the other's property so that but what if you're married though? What so if, if you're, you're married, that's completely different. So you do you you're entitled to an equalization payment, oh, that's which sucks. is a whole that's scheme. Not fair, though, How, do you believe in the system though? 
Really? You know what? I Do you think I it's choose, fair? I'm a positive person. I believe <laughs> in the system. And I think, you know what? The system the system works the way it works. And if you educate yourself and you really are there proactive you and you don't hide behind the shield of, you know, you know, just just saying I don't I don't want to know and live in darkness mm-hmm. you know and if you decide you know let's talk about these things let's look into it let's see what we can do for ourselves in a cost-effective way and you're proactive you can use the system to your advantage and it's very advantageous so when some. when you're when I was in my 20s and in love no I didn't want to hear it because a friend of mine kept saying you know you have more than him like you should get a prenup I'm like no I love him <laughs> <laughs> which is the case and with I a got lot of nailed so it's it's um I don't want to say nailed, but it just, it would have been in, to my benefit to have a prenup. And I'm one of the few cases, as you could attest to Chantel, where women, where a woman is paying spousal. And a lot of people are surprised by that, but it's really, the spousal benefits are based um, on who makes more, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So people, and child support. Is that support, how it works? It's, it's Can you tell us iron, how it works? It's not ironclad in Ontario. So spousal expa- extends to common law relationships and marital relationships, whereas proprietary interests. So, you know, having a stake in the, the marital home. It's a marital home. So that, you know, if you're married, then you have that um, entitlement. But if you're in a common law relationship, even if you've been living in the person's house for 10 years, you know, say, God forbid they die or your relationship dissolves, you're not entitled to stay in in that home necessarily. Mm -hmm. And you're not, you don't have a proprietary interest in that person's property. With spousal, it extends across the board and it really is based on, it's case specific. A judge will look at each case and determine it, you know, determine if you're entitled to spousal based on the case facts. But it's, you know, a a common example is the typical stay-at-home mom syndrome. You know, uh, a working woman, for example, such as myself, a lawyer, uh, enters into a marriage and I decide to stay at home with the kids. I become accustomed to a great standard of living my husband provides for me. When the Mm -hmm. relationship ends, be it 5, 10, 15 years later, I'm not, you know, I do, I'm not, not entitled to that, you know, in moving forward. I can continue to have that standard of living and my husband has to provide mm-hmm. that for me. Well, because you were working in the home, the though. You were yeah. working in the home. No, mm-hmm. no. Even if you're just a stay-at-home mom. That's and you're, what I mean, a stay-at-home yeah. mom. You're working in the that's home. Considered, yeah, you're of doing course, laundry, of course. You're, you're making doing, meals, you're taking care exactly, of the baby. But that's a job. That is a job. And I completely commend all stay-at-home moms out there. But the, the fact of the matter is in the court of law, it's not looked upon as a job where you're earning an income. So you could essentially mm-hmm. be incomeless, but be used to, you know, you be accustomed to buying your Prada purses and traveling to Monaco that's every right. other weekend. And you know what? You're entitled to maintain that lifestyle. Of mm-hmm. course, that's, you know, that's a, where people a bit nuts. of an extensive example. <laughs> no, but I know guys personally who uh, whose wife has, like, refuses to work. She doesn't have to because she has these spousals, and she should be. Like, in that case, that's where I think some people get ripped off, especially guys in that case. I think guys have to be careful, too, when they do get divorced, what are they signing? You know, I know someone who mean? signed, well, I know someone who signed a paper that said that they were going to pay their ex forever until she got remarried. Well, guess what? She's what not getting du- remarried. <laughs> who would? What a dummy. I know. Well, dumb, the, the fact of the matter is if you sign something that's completely unjust and you go to court and try to, you know, say the person stops paying and you go to court as the payee and say, you know, I'm entitled to this payment. If it's a completely unjust agreement, no judge is going to say, you know, force you to pay. You have to look at the terms of the agreement if they're fair and equitable and they've been signed without duress or pressure and you've had independent legal advice, then they'll be enforced. But if not, then you may have a problem. Very, very interesting. We'll be back right after this message. Don't go away. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show on Talk Radio AM 640. 
Now, back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca on Talk Radio, AM 640. If you're just tuning in, welcome. This is the Dating and Relationship Show on AM 640. Today, I'm here with Santa Carusi from Inside Jokes and family lawyer Chantel discussing relationships and money matters. Let's talk about healthy money management, okay? So, how would you say that couples go wrong when trying to initiate talking and dealing with finances as a unit? I think, you know, the 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 first issue is just not knowing how to bring the whole subject up and just veering away from even talking about it. I think that's the biggest, you know, problem that you can have. I think it's so open to, you know, it's so important to be transparent about your finances and and make it be a mutual discussion from the outset onward. Um and especially not wanting to discuss the issue. That's another problem. A lot of people have these competing egos with respect to how much each partner is making. Yeah, that's a problem for a relationship off the top. Yeah, exactly. Way. And, you know, welcome to the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Women are making more money these days. And I don't think it should be a stigma if a, if a female is making more than a man. So if that's the problem, I would just say, you know, toss that aside and start the conversation. Whether you're making the same, whether you think you're making less, if you're if you're a team, you should be able to discuss these things openly and honestly. You know, it seemed, and you got to watch in relationships because at the beginning, especially in my 20s, it seemed like it was okay. And this happened to one of my girlfriends that the guy was okay with her making more. But in the end, um, it wasn't. And it broke their relationship up. Not my relationship, another one. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. So that- why not why not just throw it out there from the yeah. outset? I think that's just the easiest way to mm-hmm. go. If they don't like it from the beginning, you know, you might as well find out sooner rather than later. That's right. And right. that's a sign. And can can a couple work through that? Because I don't know they can. Like I know a couple just got engaged and she wanted fifty percent of the house off the top and he said no and it broke them up. And now they're getting back again. I think that's a problem. I don't. I think they're always going to have money problems. You know what? It's completely couple specific. I've okay. seen people that have worked through it. I've seen people mm. that sadly haven't. Um, it just depends on the strength of your relationship and other facets, right? Um, I can't speak to whether you know even commingling your finances and having this discussion will strengthen your relationship. Just based on personal experiences and the experiences of my clients, I've only seen it you know have positive repercussions. Okay, so I know that many people would argue having separate bank accounts in a relationship is important uh, in case one of the partners is suffering from a financial crisis. At least the other person's finances aren't affected. In that case, how important would you say are having joint accounts in a relationship? The thing is with this question, I'm not really at liberty to tell clients how to arrange their bank accounts. If you if you're having any questions with respect to that, co- consult a financial advisor. That would be my advice to you. But Again, it's a question of preference. It really depends on the couple. Um, you know, I've I've seen couples that operate as a unit and they have a more traditional mindset and they think of marriage or even a relationship as, as you know, one that has to have that solid backbone and foundation of having everything done together, including their finances, and that works for them. And I've, you know, seen other, other couples function quite well and, and also in a healthy arrangement whereby they've separated their finances and they don't commingle anything and they have agreements and and you know different um different structures in place to cement that and moving forward. So I would say it's a, a question of preference. It's what you feel comfortable with. But note that if you are in a marriage, at the end of the day if you do separate, whether you have commingled accounts or not, all of the the money that's accumulated during the duration of your relationship is going to have to be disclosed and ultimately it will feed into the equalization scheme that you owe your spouse. So you can't be hiding assets. If you have joint accounts or if you don't, you're going to ultimately have to, you know, 
own up and and say this is what I have, this is what I've made during the duration of our duration of our marriage, and you you may owe a portion of that to your spouse. And I think that is a big issue. I with some couples, anyways. Uh, um, that they do disclose how much money they make and they do stash away cash. Like I know some wow. people specifically that have done that. What, what do you mean? They're in a relationship but they hide money from the Yeah, partner? on a separate account, you know. And maybe they're waiting for that big day to come. They know that inevitably, inevitably they're going to be breaking up and that's why what? they do it. Well, I I, I okay, know specific you know, people. It's, it's I'm not, not mention any of, names. Especially in the family law community. It's See, not unheard <laughs> of that, you know, they're – when you watch a movie and you hear of an offshore bank account, it happens. It happens. Um, it's, you know, a, a thing that happens in real life. But ultimately, you have certain laws in place. And in Ontario and in Canada in general, we're very lucky. We have a strong judicial system. Mm-hmm. And if you go to court and you you have an inkling of, you know, doubt or you, you may be aware of your husband or your significant other having something hidden, if you tell a judge, they'll order that spouse to disclose. Oh, and that wow. doesn't have to happen two years down the road or They're at trial. They're not going to find the cash. The thing is, <laughs> the thing is, they may be ordered to do so. And if and if they don't, you know, they don't disclose, there are penalties in place. You may have all of your court fees taken care of by way of a cost order. And you ultimately may also be fa- found in contempt of court if you're continuously ignoring a court order. Are you listening to this, people? Don't stash the cash. You're gonna get in trouble. Well, what if uh, <laughs> what if my mother has my cash? What if I want to put it in a family member's name? That, Look again, you can't avoid your obligation. If it, ultimately it will be traceable, and if if your spouse has an inkling of doubt, they could order your mother's accounts to actually be. Okay, I was joking, joking. Not Mr. if she puts it in her. Uh... <laughs> Don't worry, mom. More with our guests after the break. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show on Talk Radio AM 640. Listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca on Talk Radio AM 640. Guess who's back? Laura Bellata, and you're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show on Talk Radio AM 640. We've been sinking our teeth into some really juicy topics on money and its effects on relationships with Inside Jokes Sandra Carusi and family lawyer Chantel. We're going to talk about finances and the effects of single parenthood and co parenting. Okay, so in the case of remarriage, how involved financially should the step parent be in terms of child care? Should all the money related responsibilities fall on the biological parents? I think so. What do you think? So? That's a great question. Great and question. Again, you know, we have a lot of step parents in this this day and age, and people aren't aware of their actual rights and obligations at law as a step parent. So as the law lays it out in Ontario, as a step parent, you aren't actually legally obligated to support your stepchild. So it really depends on, you know, the step parent's desire to be involved and how much they want to contribute to those things that we call sec- especially section 7 expenses. Those things such as the skating lessons, the skiing, the hobbies, um, as well as just day-to-day care of the child. It really depends on how much you want to get involved as a step parent. The thing to watch out for and that most people don't know is that once you do start getting involved as a step parent, you may be held accountable to stay involved in the event that your relationship mm-hmm. with this with your spouse who has the biological child dissolves. So you want to watch out for what you feel most comfortable with doing in the long term, really, because what you do in the short term may be asked of you in the event that you know you go your go your separate ways, or even your spouse ends up 
you know, passing away or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And you may be left with this immense childcare responsibility if you've chose to take it on and have, have undergone that for, for the years that you're with that person. I, I want to make a point. Very just interesting. When, yeah, when this, that's very interesting because wow. people don't understand. And in a day, like you said, Chantel, people are getting remarried again and everything else. Um, when the spouse uh, passes away, um, the, the living spouse retains ownership to the house because they were married. And the child of the biological, like when their biological parent dies, that child doesn't even get that house. It's the sp- It goes to the spouse. No, I think they do if they leave it in the will for it, it to depends. go to the child. Th- that's mm-hmm. the thing. It depends on what the will states. This is more, it's a bit of a convoluted question. I'd have to, okay. you know, it's, it, it's again, case specific, like most things in mm-hmm. law. So it depend on, you know, you looking at the, the contract that's in place, be it the will or the separation agreement. We have to look on who's at who's on title. Um, because all these factors affect, you know, who will be entitled to the home and what the child's entitlement will be in moving forward, whether that child is underage, whether they're of age, all these different factors contribute to this unknown that we're speaking of. So it's really case specific. But yeah, as we were talking about, a step parent will be accountable for the behavior that they, you know, engage in and that becomes a pattern. Wow. Again, it's case specific and it goes on a case by case basis. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you have a relationship where, you know, a step parent has been engaging in a, in a parenting role, you know, going to those soccer games, mm-hmm. paying for groceries, Very contributing to tuition, they may be asked to continue doing so mm-hmm. if it's a relationship of some permanence and they've been holding out and acting as a parent for quite some time. Again, it's case specific. But you know what's interesting? That's the financial part. I know a guy who was had a stepdaughter, loved her, helped raise her and then the biological mother just took her away and he never got access like a parent because he wasn't biological which I don't think is fair either though well he probably has rights too though right of course it but again it depends it's it's on on a case-by-case basis so you know he would have to show through evidence that he had you know been taking on a parental role and he had been engaged in a shared parenting arrangement there's multiple factors that a court will consider I don't know this person I can't you know advise but you know judges will look at ultimately what is in the best interest of the child and rocking the boat with respect to access and an access arrangement that they become accustomed to is not you know going to go over well in court they're going to want to maintain stability in this child's life and if they become accustomed to a step parent really engaging and taking on a parental role they're not going to want to change that because Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily going to be in the child's best interest okay let's talk about something that's very important and i see it all the time i see it with friends and Mm -hmm. uh, i've seen it a lot during the years is deadbeat dads okay so which means in the case that your ex decides to work uh, for money, cash money, under the table and refuses to financially support his ex-partner and children. So how does the woman, especially as a single mother, go about protecting her family in a legal matter? Or even a man. It goes Because both you can't really track cash, right? There's no, deadbeat mothers too. There are deadbeat mothers. Uh, I guess the, we I don't love the wording, but but there are those. Sorry, those people. I always go back to the man. I don't mean that guys I out know. there. I really don't. I it's because I'm. You know, I always discuss it with women. Yeah, right? that's okay. I see, I see no, what I okay. see. It's, I don't really see deadbeat. I've never seen from. deadbeat women, so I don't know. But either way, if you have one parent um, that just is not willing to contribute and is really out of the picture, and you know the parent that's active wants some sort of legal recourse, um, they would first. Uh, reach out to a lawyer, at which point they would most likely be told, you know, if this person isn't willing to engage, they haven't been engaged in the process, you know, thus far, can you see them entering into negotiations or some kind of agreement with you? At which point the active parent would most likely say, no, 
there I can't see this person that hasn't been active to date all of a sudden wanting to become involved in the process and agree to start paying me when they've been out of the picture and you know not willing mm-hmm. to to date so th- with that being said it may be hard for that person may likely be hard for them to enter some kind of negotiated settlement be it by way of alternative dispute resolution mediation arbitration or some kind of separation agreement which is which is you know not fair and it's not in the best interest of the child because now they're going to have to fork out more cash to move forward in an equitable manner with that being said they they will likely have to go towards the court process and move forward by way of you know, initiating an application and serving the other party with that application. What happens if someone is working under the table, though, and you can't track the money? As I noted before in the program, there are ways to try to, you know, track money in the event that a parent or a spouse or a partner is trying to hide that money. Where there's FRO, Family Responsibility Exactly. So what happens is you would ultimately ask for a court order for disclosure. And you don't have to wait too long down the process. We have um, different means in place before going to trial, such as a case conference. It's really that first, you know, initial time that you're in court for the most part. And you can ask for orders such as, you know, procedural orders, like orders for disclosure. At that point, in time you would say look I want to see how much they're making I want some pay stubs I want this that and the other thing so I have a fulsome picture of their financial status once an order is in place exactly what you just said fro will get involved the family responsibility office they're the enforcement mechanism in Ontario for these court orders so ultimately this person can't just evade a court order for certain disclosure because fro can actually garnish their wages so their employment will get involved they can you know suspend their license there are several you know different recourses that fro has to ensure this person isn't fleeing and is you know, providing the financial disclosure requested. This is the Dating and Relationship Show on AM640, and we'll be right back after this message. Now, back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Vallada from singleinthecity.ca on Talk Radio, AM640. So we're back here on the Dating and Relationship Show with co-host Sandra Carusi from Inside Jokes and family law professional Chantal. Uh, we just finished talking about finances and its effects on single parenthood. And now I want to talk about common law relationships. I'm in a common law relationship, so um, this is going to be very interesting for me. So what is common law and when does protecting your assets count? Is common, like I think People are confused about this. Is common law one year or is it three years? People are confused about this. And it is a bit of a confusing topic. Um, there, you know, even Are you our, confused by it too? I am not confused about it. I'm a lawyer, so let's okay. hope to God I'm not confused okay. about it, especially if, if I'm a family law okay, lawyer. Okay, so listen up all you common law people out there. This is important stuff. So yeah, there's different meanings for it, even within the family law legislation, depending on really what you're wanting out of it, but whether it be, you know, a property interest or spousal support, there are different meanings. So, you know, having a a misconception that's so common about common law, um, you know, isn't surprising to me. What common law essentially refers to as is a relationship of some permanence, whereby you've either been cohabiting with a person continuously for three years 
or you have a child together. So it's three years, not one year. So it's three years cohabitation, continuous, um, wow. with respect to some, you know, s- certain sections of the, the family law act, as well as if you have a child, so signifying a relationship of some permanence and having a child together. So essentially it's, you know, you being in a permanent, serious relationship and, you know, attached by way of a child or your living arrangement. So then does that mean like the same rules applies if you were married? So that's exactly the misconception that everyone assumes. Everyone thinks that, you know, if you're in a common law relationship, even if it spans 10 years or two years, you know, whatever people think of you've been living together after that three-year threshold, um, people assume that you have an interest in, you know, your partner's property, which actually isn't the case in Ontario. Yes! There are <laughs> there are always exceptions. So, you know, I'm, I'm not legally allowed to give advice mm-hmm. with respect to anything unless I'm retained as legal counsel. But the honest truth is, um, you know, if you're in a common law relationship, you're you're essentially not entitled to the other person's property. Now, that's different than, you know, spousal support or child support. Those are two different realms of the law. So you are entitled to spousal support. You may be entitled to spousal support. You are always entitled to child support. If you have a child, there are guidelines. So it's almost like a chart. You can look it up online. The The child support guidelines, say you're making $60,000 a year. You, you know, scroll down to 60,000 on the left column. The right column will say exactly how much you should be paying in child support monthly. That is across the board. You cannot contract out of that. So who, who do you know who pays it? Whoever's making more pays the child support. No, that's not necessarily the case. The person who has primary residency that's of the right. child, Sorry, you know, the, the child is living with them in a, you know, a residential aspect. And over, you know, it's, it's a 40-60 split in the eyes of the law. So if you're with the child the majority of the time, that other parent, you know, the other biological parent will owe you child support. You can't really contract out of that either. You can agree to a lower amount, but it's it's going to be hard to obtain a divorce in Ontario law because the courts, you know, the test is what is in the best interest of our child. And the way the court process views it is that guide those those guidelines amounts are there for a reason. Those are in the best interest of your child. So, you know, as a payor, you should be abiding by those guidelines. Yes. Spousal is completely different. So spousal is a whole different beast on its own. It's discretionary. So when you're on going to court law? on common law or just in general for both for, okay. for for if you're in a marriage or a common law relationship it is completely at the discretion of whoever you know the judge in front of you or when you're agreeing it's also discretionary between spouses rather than child support where you have this one numerical figure it's like I make this much I owe this much and it's concrete spouses a lot different there's you know different ranges depending on what the person's making and what you're making there's you know a low end range of spousal and a high end range the number is you know on a spectrum. And you may not even be owed spousal. That's another thing. With child support, you you are always owed child support because it's in the best interest mm-hmm. of your child and these guidelines are in place. With spousal, it's a lot more of a gray area. So that's why it's important to, you know, if you, if you think that you have a potential entitlement, contact legal counsel and tell them, you know, you know, I think I may have an entitlement. I've been relying on this person, you know, wow. for X amount of years, or I gave up my career and, you know, I've helped them, you know, basically expand theirs to my detriment what you know what am I entitled to it's important to know those entitlements I have a quick question just um, there's the reverse of common law is separation law so is it true if you've been separated for a certain amount of time you're automatically considered divorced or separated is that true no, that's not that's not necessarily true. And it's, not, it's also not the re- Sandra's like darn. No, somebody I don't know. Somebody said that once. I've also honestly never heard of that. I have the reverse of common law with separation law. So that's she's that's, making up her own. That's stuff. a new okay, one to me. I think this is stuff that she dreams about at I night. I dated a superior court judge, and that's what I thought he told me. 
Okay, in Ontario, in order to be in order to like get a divorce, you have to have been living separate for a year. So maybe he was alluding to that. Yes. Like you could be separated and have had the whole falling yeah. out, but I, I hear what I want to hear. Anyway. Yeah, there you go. Okay. So what laws are out to serve individuals that are trying to set up financial boundaries within a common law relationship? So so individuals are protected, you know, by way of our legal system in a common law relationship because essentially they, you know, their property isn't at stake. Like I had noted previously, they, you know, essentially their property isn't up for grabs if they're in a How common law business? relationship. How about their business? Same thing? So same thing, you know, it, that falls under property. The thing is there are certain exceptions to that rule that you have to be aware of. Uh-oh. So you're not necessarily mm-hmm. in the clear if you're in a common law relationship. Um, a lot of, you know, clients come to me and say, you know, look, we, I live in my partner's house. We are only partners. We aren't married. And, um, you know, they they would qualify as being in a common law relationship by all means. And then they say, you know what, I've engaged in, you know, renovations to this home or I've been contributing to this home by way of, you know, paying rent or mortgage, you know, paying mortgage payments or paying for the expenses. And, you know, when when the commingling of finances starts to occur or when a person starts, you know, contributing to that, you know, their their partner, their common law partner's property, that's when this kind of gray zone comes into effect, whereby they could claim by way of a constructive trust or joint family venture under the law that they do have a stake to that person's property. Very, very interesting. <laughs> so it's not necessarily cut not and dry. Nervous. Yeah, it's important to consult. We both own the home. I don't I just, I don't own it on my own. Yeah, it's, so. it's important to consult legal counsel just so you're aware of your rights mm-hmm. and remedies. And that's the thing, you know, because the law can work to your advantage, but it could also work to your disadvantage. So it's important to kind of learn these things from the outset and try to protect yourself in the event that you... You know, some, someone is living with you and it's your property that's solely owned. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Talk Radio AM 640. This is the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca on Talk Radio AM 640. I'm here with my real estate friend, Holly Garvey-Penny. What's up with HGP's tips and trends today? Hi, Sandra. We talked before about getting your finances in order for buyers. Well, today's tip is for sellers to get their finances in order before they list, including a conversation about bridge financing. What do you mean? In today's hot market, make sure that you're not walking away from a fabulous offer just because the closing date is a couple of days or weeks later than the closing date of the property you already purchased. It's not as costly as you think, and it'll give you some peace of mind with pre-approved bridge financing options. For anyone that I can help, call or email me with any questions. Call her now, HGP at bosleyrealestate.com, 416-322-8000. Thanks, Sandra. Now, back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca on Talk Radio, AM 640. And we're back. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show on AM 640. I'm Laura Bellata. Seated here with me is Sandra Carusi from Inside Jokes and family lawyer Chantal Sowissian. And according to a 2016 employee wellness survey, 49% of women and 41% of men said that financial matters cause them the most stress. Whoa, that's big. I can believe it. Yeah. Okay, so last question for you, Chantel. Um, What do you suggest for people, um, how they can remain positive and reassuring when having stressful decisions like dealing with their finances and properties as a family? So the thing that I tend to, you know, always try to remind my clients of is to think of the big picture 
at the end of the day, you know, there there are oftentimes there are children involved in family law or you're trying to safeguard, you know, assets that you worked at, you know, accumulating or that have been in the family for years, things that are really important and precious to you. And just to not get bogged down in the, the small stuff, whether it's that, you know, text argument that you had earlier this morning or an argument at the access, you know, the pick up and drop off, mm-hmm. you know, those things or the, the nasty phone call that you had earlier, all these things are temporary. In the end, you know, your separation is going to result in you both being in a more positive place moving forward and just attaining happiness. Everyone is entitled to be happy in their lives. And I always look at my clients and say, look, I have so many people that I've seen today that are in the same spot as you, whether it's today or last week. And, you know, you're upset and, you know, of course you're allowed to be. And and please vocalize those things to me. People often say family lawyers are a lot like therapists. And I agree with that in a sense, because we're always listening to people's, you know, deepest, darkest secrets, mm-hmm. seeing them in their mo- moments of, you know, weakness. But just remember, th- there's a light at the end of the tunnel and you will be a lot happier at the time this process is finalized. And quickly, co-parenting, put kids first. Do you love your kids more or hate your ex more? Take your choice. Exactly. It's always about the kids. Thank you, Sandra. Well, we've run out of time. Thank you, Sandra and Chantal, for being with me uh, today on this great discussion. Hearing all about the do's and don'ts on money matters and relationship has been an eye-opening experience, and I'm sure for our listeners as well. Uh, you can tune into Sandra's show, Inside Jokes, on Sundays at 8 p.m., and we're having a fundraiser for her on May 26th. You can get tickets at ticketweb.ca. Come and meet Sandra and I. <laughs> also, for the couples and families out there looking Looking for legal advice, you can get a hold of Chantal Sawissian at uh, the Hart Legal Firm okay. here in Toronto. Just that's good, but just cut, if you're looking for legal advice, we can't. Those other okay. lawyers this morning, I got blasted. Okay, San Fiorentino. Okay, Never so on. what do I say? Just say thanks to Chantal from Hart. Okay, like whatever the full name is, Hart. Hart Legal. Hart Legal. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. 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 And thank you to Chantal Sawissian uh, from Heart Legal here in Toronto. And as for little old me, I further discuss uh, topics relating to love and relationships more in my new book, Single in the City, available at Chapters. And you can learn more about past guests and episodes, uh, episodes by visiting our Facebook page, Dating and Relationship Show. I'm Laura Bellotta. Join us again next Sunday right here on Talk Radio AM 640. Ciao for now. <laughs>